Hey there, everybody. It's time for dessert. Evil pudding. <laughs> wow. Is that corny? Extremely corny. I'm trying to come up with a good tagline. That was not it. <laughs> it's a good try, though. I'm not sure that... Are you ready for dessert? After dinner, what do you want? Dessert. Evil pudding. <laughs> yeah, this isn't that kind of pudding, though, I don't think. No, not, not really. But hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I am Courtney, and I am your host, and I am joined by my husband, Patrick. Hello, world. And, oh, what's up with you today, Pat? Terrified of what you are about to bring to us, because last week we got a nice, light brevity of Mean Girl Murders in Salem. <laughs> yeah, today's going to be today's gonna be a doozy, but I think you're going to enjoy it. Yay, more necrophiliacs and murderers, my I'm gonna favorite turn, thing in the world. Because I keep turning my head to you, so I'm going to kind of put my mic over here. Yeah, you don't have to say that. I'm just letting you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> letting all the people know. <laughs> letting everybody know you're shifting your microphone? Letting everybody know. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So, uh, yeah, do we have any uh, business to take care of? I don't think so. No? This is going to be a two-parter, guys. I did my darndest, to, but I, it's going to two parts i just can't help it so let's just dive right into it because i don't want to keep you here for three hours and give pat eight hours of editing which you will do anyway <laughs> but that's fine so you ready we're ready you ready for this jelly okay so you may have heard of the serial killer we are talking about today patrick in fact i i know you have i at least know you've seen the movie uh-oh <laughs> but surprisingly, so but surprisingly, this this guy isn't as widely known yet as he he should be. I don't think not that he deserves it, but to me, I don't know why he's not up there with like BTK and Bundy and Dahmer. And so like. he's not widely known, and I've seen him in a movie. Yes, he's not known enough, at least not by name. I don't think. I don't know any of their names, but I know a couple movies off the top of my head. Okay, so in 2013, a movie called Frozen Ground. Oh, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking guy. Was released starring Vanessa Hudgens and Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. By the way, John Cusack was made probably one of my favorite movies he was in. I know he's like a a funny guy. Not funny, but like comedic character actor. Yeah, we've probably seen this movie a dozen times oh, or I so because it's such a it. good movie and it's such a crazy story. It's not like completely on point, but I I highly recommend that you watch it. Of course, after you listen to both of these episodes and kind of compare it. Yeah, um, that makes sense to why we're uh, going to have two parts. What's his name? Robert something? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We'll get to it. Okay, okay. so it's on Netflix now. Highly recommend it. Um, John Cusack depicts a serial killer who preys on young women over the span of 13 years. That's a long time to be actively killing during that time, he killed at least 17 young women and disposed of their bodies in the frozen wilderness of Alaska. He was a hunter of women, actually, quite literally, as you're going to see. He's, he's a sick dude. He would also confess to raping 30 more women on top of the ones that he killed. Which he raped and then killed them. Yeah. Uh, some of them, yeah. Uh, this monster's name is Robert Christian Hansen. That's what it is. More commonly known as dun, 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 <laughs> the Butcher Baker or the Human Hunter, but mostly the Butcher Baker. 
Either way, he would go down in history as Alaska's most prolific serial killer. Needless to say, trigger warning for the whole episode, lots of sexual assault and extreme anger and violence towards women. Um, Like I said, I'm very sorry, but this is going to have to be a two-part series. There's just too many layers to the story for me to squeeze it into one episode. I'm going to do my best not to make y'all wait too long for it. We'll try to get both parts out this week. Yeah. Because I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. And I think you really need to just stop saying trigger warning because literally every one of our episodes is a trigger warning. Yeah. If you're triggered easily, maybe just don't listen to us. (laughs) But, you know. That's not like we don't want you to. It's just stuff's going to bother you. you. We want you here with us. but (laughs) Corny goes into some gory details on almost every single episode. Well, I get it because, you know, sometimes I'll pick and choose what I'm in the mood to listen to. And sometimes I'm not in the mood to listen to rape. You know, I just want to listen to a good old con artist. You know what I mean? Yeah, we don't cover them. I know. We will. We will. So let's get started. Robert Christian Hansen, his early life. Robert Christian Hansen, we're going to go ahead and call him Bob. That's what he went by. He was born on February 15th, 1939 in Esther, Iowa. His parents, Christian and Edna Hansen, had immigrated from Denmark, and they were deeply religious people. Christian, Bob's father, he was a baker, and that was a trade that he would pass down to his son by force, really. Bob had no choice. Christian, the dad, was domineering, demanding, and he had a super short fuse. Bob's mother, on the other hand, by contrast, was mild-mannered, meek, and completely submissive. I wonder why. Yeah, but Bob actually looked down on her for being that way. We'll see in a little bit. Mm. So you have mommy issues with why you rape them or women. Mm, It might have something to do with it, but you'll see. You'll see. In the late 40s, Hanson's family opened up their own family business, a bakery in Pocahontas, Iowa. The bakery was actually quite successful, and they made good money, and Bob was put to work at a very young age. He would have to be, I mean, we're talking like elementary school. He would have to wake up at 2 a.m. to prep for the breakfast rush. And then he would go to school before heading straight back to the bakery for his second shift. Yeah, we're also talking about the 1940s. Yeah, child labor laws, I guess, weren't. (laughs) It was said that as a result, Bob, of course, struggled to stay awake during class. And his grades suffered big time for it. I mean, of course they did. That, it's child abuse. It really is, if you think about it. At 2 a.m. In, to, in today's society, that is definitely considered child abuse. Back then, it's a Tuesday. I guess so. But you're talking about right after the Great Depression. You're talking about right after World War II. I mean, this, this is not uncommon at this time period. They weren't easy on children. Women, children, it didn't matter. You worked 18 hours a day if you even got to go to school. Yeah. Speaking of child abuse, Bob developed uh, a severe stutter, and it was worsened by his father's constant verbal bashings. Along with the stutter, Bob began to develop really bad anxiety. He would just not speak in front of people. It was also said that Bob was left-handed, but he was forced to be right-handed by his father. Like, it was unacceptable that he was a lefty. So maybe that's not, like, a huge detail, but I wanted to add it. Well, I wanted to add it because it just goes to show you the level of demand placed on him at such a young age, you know? Yeah, it's just weird. Like, It is. It's very odd, yeah. Maybe in, like, the 1300s when they thought that would make you were a witch or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just totally strange. Uh, Even though he wanted to please his father, he was ashamed of his dad. Um, You know, his dad always riled him up and got on to him about his stutter. Oddly enough, his father had the same stutter. (laughs) 
And it also really embarrassed Robert that his dad had that thick Danish accent as well. He didn't he didn't like it. He was embarrassed. He was just embarrassed by his whole life. He had zero confidence. That's such a cool accent, though. I think it is. But, I, I love that Danish accent. But Bob's not normal. We will see. No crap. <laughs> okay, so by his teen years, Bob was, of course, still working his butt off at the family bakery. He had developed severe acne, as many of us do as teenagers. Not a big deal, but it would leave his face severely pockmarked for the rest of his life. And you can actually look up pictures of him online and still see the scarring on his face. It was, it's pretty severe, which, you know, it happens to the best of us. And it's not a big deal, except it's going to come up later. So it was worth mentioning. And it was also um, part of the reason why he was so bullied in school. Of course, kids are jerks. That hasn't changed, right? And Bob was bullied for his acne and, of course, for his stutter. And the worst bullies were girls. He would later say, and this is a quote, how was I supposed to get a date when I couldn't even speak to girls? So it was around that time that he began. <laughs> Who needs to date him when I can just rape him and kill him? Well, yeah, that'll come later. He'll, he'll just, it, he just gets more and more pissed off as he gets older. It was around this time that he began to deeply just resent women in general, just resent them. He even resented his mother, he would say, for being so subservient to his father. Okay, this was interesting. This was a direct quote from Hansen from an interview uh, with police in the 80s after he was apprehended. Spoiler alert, this asshole does get caught. So here in the interview, he was speculating what the driving force was that caused him to commit all of his crimes. And just hold on, try to keep up because this is him talking. He said, going back in my life, I was... I guess what you might call very frustrated. I would see my friends and so forth going out on dates and so forth and had a tremendous desire to do the same thing from the acne scars on my face and so forth. You can probably see, I could see why girls didn't want to get close to me during my junior high or high school days. I could not control my speech at all. It was also, I was also so embarrassed and upset with it from people making fun of me that I hated the word school. So as you can see, he likes the phrase so forth. <laughs> he says that quite a bit. That's, that's part of some of his stuff. He's so and, forth, so forth, so and forth. So forth, so forth. And so forth. <laughs> so this would be really sad, you know, and we would feel bad for the dude if he, if we didn't know how he turned out, you know, if he wasn't. A horrible yeah, if you were interviewing serial the kid, sex kid, offender. Like we always say, like we always say on these episodes, if you were interviewing the kid, feel bad for the kid, not the. Adult. You feel that term mm-hmm. terrible for him. Mm-hmm. You interview well, not all of them. There was like old boy that rearranged knives around his sister when he was three. Bundy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> but, a little off. Yeah, but everybody else has had these horrible childhoods. Not horrible, really rough childhoods in whatever rough. form or fashion. You feel bad for him, and you know, I mean, you don't I, feel bad for the monster they turn into. I don't know about you, but I was severely bullied. I know you were. I was bullied a lot, yeah. and we didn't turn out to be. Murderers, and, Murderers serial and serial killers. But so I mean, it can go both ways. Feel back for it. It goes back to our but original question we posed on our very first podcast that we continue to reference. Is we that continue to reference. Is it born, born or made, or is it made, mm-hmm. or is it a combination of both? In yeah. his case, it could be a combination of both. Maybe this just unlocked something that was there the whole time. I think it just unlocked something in his little twisted mind. You know, he may have just snapped. Yep. So, anyways, Pocahontas's population. Remember, he lives in Pocahontas, Iowa. The population started growing, and the young adults loved to go bowling and skating and go to the movie, normal kid things. But remember, Bob's parents were super religious. 
And they didn't agree with how the kids of those days spent their free time. That's every generation. That's every generation. So Bob would still, he really tried. He made a concerted effort to socialize. It was just, it had to be uh, with parent-approved activities. Like he tried out for the school's choir and uh, the basketball team and the football team, but he never made it. Like he just sucked at everything he tried. And it's sad, but it's true. (laughs) He did eventually, though, this is good. He made the track team. And he even earned a varsity letter his senior year. And that's probably the only positive thing about his high school experience. This is funny. And I actually Googled it and saw that it was true. In the yearbook, it has it on a picture. In the in his high school yearbook on a senior like portrait, they misspelled his name, Hanson. They they wrote it H-A-N. S-O-N instead of H-A-N-S-E-N. They couldn't even spell his name right. So the kid just never caught a break. You got to feel bad for the kid, not the adult, like we say. Chuck, unfortunately, didn't earn him any popularity. So he took a deep interest in more solitary activities like hunting. It was a sport that he effectively mastered. He was really good at it. it. It was said that he was a natural at hunting, especially bow hunting. That was his thing. And he could quietly and efficiently kill an animal. The foreshadowing is thick with this. (laughs) But he loved it. And he held on to that. Okay, so he graduated in uh, high school in 1957. He had, like, just average grades. He wasn't, you know, a genius by any means, but he didn't flunk. He joined the Army Reserves, uh, seeking a little change. He was sent to Fort Dix, New Jersey, and for the first time, for the first time in his life, he was free from under his father's thumb. So it was kind of an experience. I was laughing not at the name. I've been to Fort Dix. It's a shithole. Oh, is it? It's a, yeah. Nothing to it. It's a little. I'm sure it was even worse back then. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it was still a reserve base back then. Well, oh, see, yeah. it was a reserve base. If you yeah, know, it was Army Army Reserves. Army reserves so, I mean, yeah. It's, Crazy. It's nicer where it's joined with the Air Force, the airfield, but it's, it's just kind of a piece of crap in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean... He had the potential to, to you know, get out there and really try new things, but it just never worked for him. It was here, though, that he would have his first sexual experience. Okay, so here's the story behind that. <laughs> so Bob won uh, Soldier of the Week for whatever reason. I don't know what, what he did, but he got Soldier of the Week. And the prize was a paid weekend out in New York City with one of his buddies. So, Soldier of the Week, I'm just going to have to go on a guess here. Yeah. Uh, they're reservists, so they're only yeah. one week a month, full-time. Yeah. Or one week a year, or one weekend a month. Normal, regular Army or active duty does Soldier of the Month and Quarter. Oh, so, so this is Soldier actual, of the Week. It's a board, so yeah. you stand before the board and answer questions and do all that stuff. So, they probably had one of those, but they just called it Soldier of the Week because they're only there for like two weeks. It was like on a weeks. smaller scale. Yeah, yeah. they're only there for like two weeks. So That makes sense. Well, he won that, and he got a paid weekend out in New York with one of his friends. So Bob and his buddy agreed that while they were in New York, they were going to get themselves a couple of prostitutes. So they did, and they brought the girls back to their hotel room. Bob's friend enjoyed himself immensely, but Bob just wasn't impressed with sex. He was unfulfilled. He would later say that the experience left him feeling out of control, and he hated that. We could already start to see here's some major sexually motivated red flags just with that one statement in and of itself yeah you you don't have to be in total control no but guys like him do robert okay 
So before long, Hanson returned to Pocahontas and resumed work at the bakery. The, the reserves just, he wasn't, it wasn't cutting it for him. He gets bored very easily, you're going to see. Well, it's the reserves. It's not full time. No, it's not. But he, he's just like done with things really quickly and moves on to the next. It doesn't say how long he was there. He could have only done like two years. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that was not, yeah, because it didn't say how, if he left or what happened. So by this time, he was around 20 years old. And he was described around town, back in Pocahontas, as different and a loner. What everyone didn't see was the rage that he had boiling inside of him. He was very angry, for sure. Especially for the way he was treated by his peers in school. He would never let that go. But he disguised, as most serial killers do, all the little dark parts and presented a mild manner and unassuming demeanor. So people liked him. Yeah, they're the friendly loners that are nice yeah. to everybody. That they're kind of quirky. Really dark side that no one else gets right. to see. Right. He even managed during this time to secure himself a group of friends. The only problem was <laughs> these friends were still in high school. And remember, he's 20. The reason I think he picked um, kids still in high school is because he, you know, he loved guns. So he had a gun collection. He had his own apartment at this time. He was making money at the bakery. So he was able to bring these kids back to his apartment, show off, be the cool kid in high school for once. Well, yeah, and they also didn't know him when he was in high school. So right. it's a clean slate. There's right. probably not a whole lot of people that don't know him at his own age. For once in his life, he was cool. He's only 20, so you're talking, yeah. what, three, four probably years most he's older than them. Right, probably. exactly. He's 18. He can buy beer and cigarettes. Right. I mean, he, he can do all the cool shit that these high school kids wanted to do. And finally, he's never been cool before. This was the first time. He even got his first girlfriend during this time. Not much is really known about her, and I tried to look more into her. But I did gather that her name was Phoebe, and her family went to the same church, the Lutheran church, as Bob's family. Apparently, though, her parents were super opposed to her dating Bob, which rightfully Freaking 20, and she's probably like 16 or 17. Probably so, Yeah. So anyways, Bob was about to reveal a whole new side of his personality, a darker side. Remember how we always see escalation with serial killers? We always talk about that. Yeah, it always starts out as some sort of small crime or petty yeah. crime or just it's, it's property. Destruction of property always. And then it turns into physical harm. Yeah, or theft or something. Well, that's still property, but then it mm-hmm. turns into some sort of assault or rape. And then it escalates to murder. It keeps escalating. It just keeps on going. This is for sure level one. <laughs> So, in December of 1960, Bob coerced his gang of high school friends to help him set fire to the school's bus barn. Like, the barn where all of the buses in the districts were stored. So, I find it really odd that he didn't do this alone and he asked for help, especially, like, teenagers' help. I would think that him, because he is a loner by nature, why he didn't do it alone. But he did. He asked for help. Ironically, though, it was one of Hanson's little high school friends that ratted him out. Of course. Um, see, Bob, that's why you have to do your pre-serial killer activi- activities alone, my dude. You can't involve people. The following year, Bob was arrested and charged with arson on May 29th, 1961. But he would only spend three days in custody before Edna posted his, his mom posted his $2,500 bail. Her reasoning for posting his bail, she would say, it was time for church and we go to church together as a family. (laughs) She's in denial. 
you know, dad was probably like, get that boy's ass out of jail. He yeah. Can go to church with us. And exactly. she's like, okay. Okay. Even weirder, the same evening that he was released from prison, he married his girlfriend, Phoebe. I guess he was like, I, look, I'm innocent of these charges. And she believed him. They honeymooned for one week in Florida, and they returned to Pocahontas, where Hanson still had to answer for his crimes. He, to avoid trial, he went ahead and pled guilty, and he was sentenced to three years in, state reform, uh, in the state reformatory at uh, Anamosa on October 9th, 1961. That's when Phoebe immediately filed for divorce. So I think she believed he was innocent at first, and then when he pled guilty, she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. So she filed for divorce. He was single now. But while he was in prison, he had to meet with a psychiatrist for the first time. This is interesting. Bob didn't hold back. He spoke at great great length about his horrible high school years and all the bullying. He told the psychiatrist about his obsessive need that he had to get back at his bullies and his fantasies of revenge. Mm. The psychiatrist wrote down that Hanson had an, this is a quote, an infantile personality, which is due to his need to control everything and have everything his way, like, He doesn't take no for an answer. And he was also diagnosed back then with bipolar disorder at this time. I'm not a doctor, but I'd venture to say that there's a lot more going on with Bob aside from mental illness. It just wasn't apparent yet, but it will be. There wasn't like a, just some character flaw in him. There was, there was definitely some sociopathy or something. And serial killers, you don't see, like, mental illness as much as, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Before long, Hansen knew he kind of screwed himself over by being too forthcoming and honest with the psychiatrist. After he was denied his first parole, he was like, okay, I can't obviously tell the psychiatrist all this stuff or I'm not going to get out. So he worked the system. He was a model prisoner from that point on. In May of 1963, he was granted parole, and he was a free man. He left the prison, and he took off to Minnesota to join his parents, who were now living at a resort that they had purchased there. Bob goes to Minnesota, and this is a beautiful place. He's, you know, he loves outdoors. And they have, like, this outdoor resort with fishing and cabins and hunting. And, I mean, he was in heaven. So his father even employed him, and Bob worked to paint the boats and the cabins, and he managed the docks, and he served as a guide for guests who came to fish and hunt. He even met someone. It was a young woman named Darla. She was really empathetic to Bob's struggles. Um, She was nearly six foot tall, so she was a tall girl, and she had been somewhat of an outcast, too, in her younger years. So they bonded instantly. And it's really a shame that this story just couldn't end right here. <laughs> but um, it doesn't, unfortunately. Darla and Bob would later be married after Darla finished her teaching degree. For time's sake, I'm not going to get too much into it, but Bob started stealing around this time. And he stole stupid, menial items like a softball from a sporting goods store and um, $11, $11 worth of fishing lures. But... Everything was, like, so small that either charges were never filed or they were dropped because he talked people out of it. Yeah, that's the beginning stages of him needing control. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not about stealing. It's not about the object he's taking. Exactly. It's 100% about 
the act of and being in control and taking Wait it. until you see what he says about it. But Darla stuck by him and even got their pastor at church to counsel him. So she was a very dutiful and religious wife, and she was going to stick by him. Later on, Bob would say uh, Bob would say that he stole not because he needed the items, but for the thrill of it. He would go on to say that stealing and getting away with it would nearly make him climax. So oh. this is another escalation. <laughs> I was just talking about like being in control, not no. not nothing from. He was sick. He was. He I was stole sick. some gum and ooh. Exactly. Like this is another escalation. I'd say this is level two. <laughs> Definitely has a sexual element to it. Absolutely. Everything does with him. Anyways, the newlyweds, after moving around for a few years, in between Bob's little run-ins with the law, they would finally decide to settle in Alaska. So this is where Alaska comes in. This is where it gets good, guys. So Darla and Bob both wanted wide open spaces, and they had both all always dreamed... Sorry, I hit my microphone. They had both always dreamed of Alaska. So the couple settled in Anchorage, Now, in the 60s, Anchorage was the state's largest city. It still is to this day, at least by population. But back then, they had a population of about 300,000 people, which accounted for 39% of the state's total population. So it was a big, big place. That number would skyrocket thanks to the discovery of oil beneath the land, which was an industry that attracted many people looking for work. By the 70s, when he was really active in serial killing. A lot of workers from the lower 48 arrived, which caused inflation, a higher cost of living, and a lower quality of life. I'm saying this because many of the people that moved there would turn to crime out of desperation, which meant that many women worked in the sex industry, either at, at topless bars or as sex workers on the street. Speaking of streets, 4th Avenue and Anchorage's um, Tenderloin District, it was called, was as seedy as they come. And this was Bob's, like, prime hunting ground. This was the area that he would frequent for 13 years. This place was awful back then. I'm sure it's not anymore, but, I mean, there was little child porn stands and topless bars galore and i mean it was just a bad place to go there was sex trafficking people the mob was there i mean it was it was a rough place I mean, the mobs there if you got all the other stuff going yeah on. absolutely but before we get to that let's talk about what an upstanding citizen bob made himself out to be upon his arrival in anchorage and the build-up to his reign of terror because that's important he does establish himself he really worked hard bob the baker was able to find work in a bakery almost as soon as he arrived while Darla secured herself a teaching job. With two steady incomes, they were able to buy their first small home. Now that the two were settled, Bob then decided to get back to what he loved the most, hunting, more specifically, bow hunting. He would even join a few local bow hunting groups, like the Black Sheep Bowmen and the Alaska Archery Association. Bob didn't suck at hunting either. He even went on to make it into the record books for shooting the fourth largest mountain goat in the Kenai Peninsula. So he was in a record book. After all of this came out, they took him out. (laughs) He didn't deserve it, which I can't disagree with. Why did you want him in your records? He was. He was in the record book for um, shooting the fourth largest mountain goat. And I'm going to show Patrick the picture of him with the mountain goat. And you can tell me what you think. I'll post this on our Instagram. But he looks like a harmless dude. He's looks like dorky. A, looks like a doofus, yeah. He's dorky. 
And even a lot of the girls who survived, they would describe him as just like the, the, your typical dork, you know, just nerdy, harmless looking. Yeah. So Bob is kind of thriving in Alaska so far. Him and Darla would soon come to find out that they were expecting. Their daughter was born in 1971, and it was then that the family sold their first smaller home and purchased a larger one. So they weren't bad off. They were making money. However, things weren't so great in paradise. After the birth of their daughter, Bob started to kind of pull away from the family and became more distant. He decided to immerse himself wholly into hunting. And after a time, like I told you before, Pat, he gets bored with things. And even that started to bore him. So he decided to hunt a different type of prey. Girls. So Bob's first victim. 18-year-old real estate, real estate worker, Susie Heppard, left in the early morning hours to run a few errands from her apartment. When she returned back to her apartment parking lot, Hansen accosted her holding a gun to her head and he forced her into the car. Now, he had been stalking her for weeks. Um, a few weeks before this, he had seen her at a stoplight and he followed her home and was just keeping an eye on her ever since then. That's creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. Anyways, of course, Susie screamed her head off and the noise thankfully alerted her roommates who looked out the window and actually witnessed Susie being forced into this man's car. So they called the police and in like no time, I guess the police were right around the corner. Responding officers were everywhere lighting that parking lot up. And Hanson bolted from his car and ran off, like on foot. Susie was able to describe her would-be abductor to AT, and the cops caught Bob walking on the side of the road just blocks from her apartment. After Susie identified him as her attacker, he was taken to the station for questioning where he tried to lie and charm his way out of it, as he always will do. But with a victim ID, it was kind of hard to deny. Even her roommate saw him. Hansen would be held in jail pending a preliminary hearing on uh, December 24th. At the hearing, after Susie testified, Bob's defense counsel argued that Hansen should walk free as long as he, like, pinky promises that he will show up to all of his upcoming hearings and trials. After all, he was a husband, father, upstanding citizen, and he was in a record book, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, Great guy. So he even, in the meantime, would promise to seek psychiatric help. And you can probably guess that even though he was charged with assault with a deadly weapon, Hansen was let out to live as a free man and seek mental help. He just had to stay away from Susie. And it's also important to, to note that most likely Alaska had no idea that he had spent time in Iowa in prison for arson. Not at the time, no. Because that we talked about that with Bundy. Yeah. The federal database at the it FBI wasn't available it wasn't yet. Avail- well, yeah, it wasn't available then. So yeah. they had no idea this dude was not only a violent offender with this thing, but he has a jail history mm-hmm. for violent offense for, for arson, which is a serious crime. It's a felony. You'll see in part two um, that comes into play, but only when the FBI gets involved. Yeah, because they yeah. know about it. No one else they does. Know, they know so, about it. Things are a lot different when your lawyer is saying, hey, if he pinky promises to do all his stuff, it's just okay. let him go. And they're like, it's the first time he's ever done anything. Or he's a, he's a convicted felon. Here's the problem, though. What I just described is going to happen over and over and over again. And it's just, it's the most aggravating thing. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. But the police were absolutely 
awful back there. Well, they were comparable to 1980s LAPD. But if you remember, well, first of all, we've talked about this on almost every one of our people, the, the failure by police to, in court systems, right? Mm-hmm. However, if you watch the movie, if you do go watch Frozen Ground, you'll uh-huh. see that you know the, the, the detective that eventually catches him, that's the state police because they brought the state police in. in. Yeah, because yeah, the local PD was fucking it up so badly. It was so bad. The state police got involved. It's so true, and you're you're gonna see that, and that's all in part two. So hang on, hang on to your no, bitches. No, I mean it makes sense. You see, he's getting away with these things. They're just letting yeah, him go, letting sure. him go, letting him go. And state police is probably like, okay, I mean, that's enough. There's gonna come a point where you're gonna say, wow, y'all might as well just be helping him get these girls and killing them, you know. And also, well, let's not forget that, with, that they're that with, sex workers. We've also seen that with Dorothea. We've seen that with Ted. Mm-hmm. We've seen that with a bunch of people. Who are like, you might as well just let them keep doing it or help them because you're letting them do it. So Bob learned a valuable lesson with Susie. See, Susie, remember she worked in real estate? Yeah. She was, in his words, a respectable girl. Yeah. 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 The police and the courts listened to her. So he yeah. had to seek out a different type of girl if he wanted to get away with these crimes. Yeah, it makes sense. He's, now he realizes that she has she's well-known. She People care about her. And then when she tells her story, everyone's like, okay, oh, that's, okay. That that's must be horrible. Fact. That's yeah. factual. Whereas you can already see what he's doing. with He's going to start targeting sex workers. And you're like, okay, no one in the community is going to believe the hooker. Exactly. No one's going to miss the hooker. He he felt that uh, he needed a type of girl who wasn't believable to police, wanted to avoid police, and somebody who wouldn't be missed. And I have to add that um, it's it's very true. He was not wrong. The police typically didn't listen to women who worked in the sex industry. And that's why it's so common for serial killers to target them. So while I'm talking about Bob's next victims, and there's going to be many, please keep in mind that all these young women were someone's daughter, someone's wife, someone's sister. And in many cases, they were mothers just trying to make ends meet. Yep. All of them deserved a chance to live their life. And that's just a little side note from us. Yeah, well, that, of course they did. I mean, it's they're still human beings, right? They're a human being. Now, I understand why police didn't listen to them. Because you know, even back when I was you know, doing undercover narcotics and mm-hmm. stuff, like, you only took the word of criminals at face right, value. Right? right, Like, it didn't matter what your crime were. If you were habitually in and out of the prisons and in and out of the courts for prostitution, assault, drugs, whatever it is, you... you I'm not going to believe you every time you come tell me something. And when you have 13 criminals coming up and telling you the same thing, you start to listen. And that's what we're going to see here. It's just like, wow, guys, y'all are really dropping. Who's paying you? (laughs) And and also, you're talking about about prostitutes. And Mm -hmm. now, as a cop, if a hooker's coming up to you saying some dude tried to attack me, Mm -hmm. 99% of the time in your mind, you're thinking, this dude didn't pay her. Somebody grifted. Yeah, she grifted him or something. Like, they, they got her to do whatever and just kicked her out of the car. They never, yeah. Like, so, so he it, knows all that, too. It, it, I mean, it makes sense because they're not going to listen yeah. to a guy attacking them a lot because they're prostitutes. Like, yeah. you're, you're literally inviting people to do this for money. So Yeah. It's, it's a messy situation, but the cops definitely could have done a better job. Thank God for the guy who eventually comes in. That dude's a badass. Yeah, guy. he's a badass. So Bob was moving on, as we said, to a new demographic of women, sex workers and topless dancers, etc., He had his eye on one in particular, a young woman named Barbara Field. Barbara stopped at a diner in the early morning hours after her shift at a bar, and she was reaching for the door to go inside the diner, and Bob Hansen stopped her. He Remember, he stutters horribly, horribly. He was stuttering really badly, so it took her a while to figure out that he was asking her out on a date, and she declined. And he just immediately pulled a gun on her and ordered her into his car. 
so leaving her car in the parking lot. She would later recall, she survives, uh, that as they were driving down the road, a cop car passed them, and Bob looked over at her and said, well, there goes your help, and then laughed. He's just... He's an asshole. <laughs> he was enjoying her fear and taunting her. He loves to do that. The control. See. Yeah, the control and the taunting. They drove until they reached the Sunrise Inn, where Bob got a hotel room. Once inside, he ordered her to undress and take a bath, of course, while he watched and held her at gunpoint. After she was done, this is awful, by the way, so just skip a little bit ahead if you don't want to hear this. After she was done, he tied her to the bed and he brutally sexually assaulted her for what seemed like forever, she said. I do want to add this in. Barbara would later say that his penis was severely deformed. It was short, bulbous, and it was almost hooked at the end, she said. And I say this for no other reason than to just make fun of him. It has nothing to do with the case. (laughs) Yeah, no wonder this fucking dude's so angry. I'd be angry, too, with a bulbous hooked penis. Little, little, little baby hook dick. No, and that's only because he's such an asshole. I'm sure there's some very nice men with some issues. No, I'm saying that's why he's angry. I don't know about yeah. anybody else's issues. I don't care about anybody else's issues. Yeah, but this guy we can You're make saying this dude's of. an asshole, so it's no wonder totally he's so fine. angry. We don't care how he feels. No wonder girls wouldn't date him, either. <laughs> so, um, after he tired himself out, by the way, he was unable to climax. I don't know if he was nervous. I don't know. I don't oh, know what steal happened. something for that. Um, <laughs> but after he tired himself out by trying to do it for a while, he rolled over and he fell asleep. When he woke up, he ordered Barbara to get dressed and they left the hotel. They drove for quite a while until they reached a cliff with wilderness all around them. Alaska is nothing but wilderness in some parts. Well, back then, especially, back then there was especially. no one there. It you was just the, said 39% of the state. It was the was perfect injuries. area to. A lot of the bodies, by the way, spoiler alert, will be found in places that can only be reached by boat or plane. So, I mean, he was just like. The bodies that we know of. That we know of, yeah. So, I mean, he really took advantage. He knew the wilderness, he was comfortable in the wilderness, and he utilized the wilderness to commit and uh, to, to commit these crimes. So, um,. He drove for quite a while until they reached a cliff with wilderness all around them. He stopped the car, looked at her, and said, and I just want you to imagine being her, he said, start running. So this is what Hansen loves to do to his victims, as we will see. He likes to hunt them. He enjoys the chase. And Barbara knew exactly what he wanted to do. I mean, he had a gun. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. He was going to shoot her from behind as soon as she started running. So she is an incredibly smart and brave woman. She dropped to her knees and she started begging for her life. I can literally imagine the desperation she must have felt. She was begging him to take her home. And then she even, um, she even stroked his ego by telling him how much she had enjoyed their time together and she'd like to see him again. But she really needed to get home now to her baby boy. Yeah, she had a baby boy. Barbara didn't stop there. She was absolutely on her A-game. She said, okay, okay, look, in my purse is my license and all my information. Write it down so that you know where to find me and you can hold me to my word and that I won't go to police. I hate police. I'd never go to the police. By some stroke of luck, she was able to woo Bob Hansen and he actually agreed to this. He went and got her license and copied down all of her personal information onto a piece of paper 
tucked it into his wallet, and he drove her back to the diner where he had seen her and dropped her at her car. Barbara stuck to her word, mostly just she was terrified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knew where she lived. She didn't go to police, and she didn't tell anyone about her kidnapping and attack that night. She was terrified that he knew where she lived and where her baby lived. So I totally get that. No, I get that, too. Like she Absolutely. Knows this dude was about to kill her. She's alive because of this, and she knows that like, even if he gets questioned about her disappearing, yeah. mm-hmm. she's fucking dead if he doesn't go to jail. But a few weeks passed, and she was reading the paper one morning at breakfast, and she saw a story about a young girl whose body had been, been found by two fishermen in a ravine. She was nude, and her hands had been tied behind her back with speaker wire. It looked as if she had been hunted. The girl had thrown herself off a cliff and landed in the ravine where she was then shot. So she was running from somebody. Her corpse told a terrible story of rape and torture. Her thighs and genitals were horribly bruised, and her chest had been slashed several times. Semen would later be found inside of her, but this was way before the time of DNA testing, so all it proved was that she was raped. You know, nothing to compare it to. The young girl would later be identified as 17-year-old Celia Van 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 Zanten. Unfortunately, Celia would never be tied to Bob Hansen, and he never confessed to her murder. So, although this isn't Bob's first confirmed kill, since he didn't confess to her murder, I believe that this was the first woman that Bob killed since this happened in 1971. Like, it's... For sure. It's unsolved. It's... To this day. Sloppier than most of his Mm -hmm. other ones are. Yeah, because it's in a place where people can find her. But it's also... It's not just that. It's just sloppy the way he kind of does that. When you see what he does later on. Yeah, yeah. He's more organized. But you can see that he basically was like, that's his first one. Mm -hmm. Then he's like, oh, I got to refine my skills. And you can't tell me that it was somebody else if it's just a coincidence for the next 13 years. Yeah. There's like 20 murders and another like 30 disappearances that no one can find. And And they're all tied to this dude, but this one's not? And remember, this is 1971, and he doesn't get apprehended until the 80s. That's what I mean. Yeah, so I think this was his first murder. It's just, it's too much of a coincidence to say this one happened after he kidnapped the other girl and was going to kill her and before his next killing. And on the outskirts of the same city. (laughs) Yeah, where his terror starts for 13 more years. So it's like, it's too coincidental to say, oh, that wasn't him. So Barbara knew this. She knew everything you just said, and this had to be the work of her attacker. She, w- I don't know if I could be this brave, but she went to the police. She put her safety and her family's safety on the line, and she went to police. She was absolutely plagued with guilt, thinking that she could have prevented this murder from happening. Oh, she's going to have survivor's remorse. Oh, for sure. And then the guilt, like you said, just... I can't even fathom. Knowing that she didn't go to the, <clears throat> to the police because she was, in her mind, probably being selfish to protect herself her. and her kid... Yeah. And then she sees this other girl get murdered and, she's, and raped and all the stuff she went through. And she's like, but she didn't make it out. Shit. If I had said something, he could have not yeah. done that, which we know it probably wouldn't have happened. So she, she did. She gave him the most thorough statement that she could recanting every single detail of the night that she was abducted. She made sure to tell them that her attacker, this is important. Her attacker had written down all of her personal information on a piece of paper. She even described the piece of paper yeah, and where he, he put it. And he put it in his wallet. And that'll come into play here. I'm sure the police will find out later when they target them. So police even drove her to the Sunrise Inn. Remember where Bob got the room? And um, 
the clerk remembered her. So she was like, yeah, she was here. So to me, this should be an open and shut case. But as you will see, the police just seem to be Team Bob for whatever reason. (laughs) It's so aggravating. They brought Hanson in for questioning, and they asked him to take out his wallet. Inside, they found the piece of paper with Barbara's info written on it. Like, what more do you need? What more do you need? (laughs) Kidnapping, rape, bam, right there. But apparently, they couldn't take it in as evidence because they didn't have a search warrant. (laughs) What? What? That doesn't make sense. I mean, I know. I know. When I tell you they dropped the ball in so many, this should be over right here. Before this, it should be over. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have to go on. You know. They don't need a search warrant, especially if they're like, "Hey, we're gonna look through your wallet. It's Let just us see it." Ridiculous. And he's like, "Here you go. No search warrant needed because you were just giving." But he couldn't take it as evidence. But yeah, you don't need one. You were just granted authorization to search. You don't need a warrant to go there. But to their credit, they did work on getting one after, even though it was too late. That paper was long gone. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he left with it and burned it. Oh, he brought it into jail with him, and the rookie cop that was um, processing him, he said, uh, Rob said, Robert said, hey, can I have that piece of paper? Those are the names of people that are going to bail me out of here, gather the money to bail me out of oh, here, nice. and they gave it to him. So that's the story of that. I was going to leave that out for time's sake, but how it they, came into play. How do they, they not know that was the girl that put the statement? Because it was a rookie cop processing him. His only job was to process incoming people yeah i guess if he's at the county jail or whatever like that he doesn't yeah he's not he, he's not gonna pay attention to how you interview and well he probably interview. has nothing to do with that You're mm-hmm. right. nothing he, to he do just with sits that. there and checks you in that's it so he was bob was charged with kidnapping assault and rape and rape oh when his preliminary hearing rolled around this is despicable this is gonna make your blood boil barbara was brave enough to take the stand and testify against him with him sitting in front of her i mean this is a badass bitch here But Bob's defense attorney made her look like just another, quote, whore, and basically discredited her on the stand. Here is a prime example of how poorly these women were treated, even in a court of law, all because of their line of work. So Bob's defense attorney had the audacity when she was on the stand to ask her things like, so did you bleed during intercourse with the defendant? Was the defendant on top of you during intercourse? Like, how is this allowed by a judge? It's just despicable. This is a rape victim. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, but my blood's boiling. <laughs> Let me take a break. Unfortunately, Barb had no witnesses present, present, president, present that could vouch for her character in court. And that's a huge thing, like character witnesses. But because she didn't want to tell a lot of people. But guess who did have character witnesses? Old Bob. He had three, in fact. Two pastors and one public health officer who was a hunting buddy of his. Bob, of course, pled not guilty to the charge of kidnapping, rape, and assault. During the actual trial, he was found guilty on all three charges. So that really should be the end of this episode. But he only got five years in prison. He was paroled within three months. Let that sink in. Yeah, but, I mean, that's still a problem to this day, right? Like, you know, we live in a city that's a huge issue where people are getting bonded out on murders going out and re-murdering people. Yeah, and, I mean, 
it's just it's it just makes my blood boil, especially a repeat offender. He was just charged. Well, Celia's case was never tied. Not yeah, Celia's case was never tied to him. And then also um, the girl he Susie, that was never brought up. So it was never allowed to be. And brought up. on top of that, again referring back to it, Alaska doesn't know that he did time in jail for arson in Iowa. Exactly. So they don't know. He did have to spend some time in a halfway house, but that's nothing. I mean, the fuck? Okay. Yeah. So Bob set out working two bakery jobs when he got out. This accomplished two things. With his income, he purchased a small plane called a Super Cub. It was a little one-engine plane, bush plane. That would be his new favorite toy used to hunt. And it also would account for the erratic hours he could be out and away from the house, away from his family, without his wife being suspicious. Which, at this time, I don't know how she wasn't suspicious. But Yeah, but if he's got the plane and he's like, hey, you know how much I love hunting? I yeah. Really hunt no, I here. know. I There's know. some places that are like a six-hour drive that but I But he keeps getting there. charged with rape and assault. Oh, I know, I know. But he's <laughs> like, hey, he's only got the one right now. Yeah, no, I know. And he's like, hey, you know, it'd be cheaper you know, to have the plane. I can fly there in an hour, land out there, hunt mm-hmm. all day fly back otherwise that'd be like a three-day trip i get that part i just don't yeah Yeah, no i know she's she has her head in the sand and she believes but she was also to her credit out of the country a lot with her kids because they were leading two separate lives completely by the way the bush plane becomes a big part of the story later on and um it becomes a big part of his final escalation that's like the key to like him yeah so hang on to that we'll get to it soon if you've seen the movie, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, here. if you've seen the movie, you know exactly like it centers around that plane. So what Bob was doing with his free time, you know, we all know that he loves the Fourth Avenue CD area of Anchorage, the Tenderloin district. At a club called the Embers is where Bob would find his next victim. In October of 1979, Bob sparted, sparted, spotted Christy Hayes dancing at the embers club which is one of his favorite haunts he flashed her a roll of cash and uh she told him hey i'm about to be done so after her shift she went to meet him out in the parking lot where he had a gold camper hooked up to the back of his silver pontiac (laughs) they agreed on a price for christy's services and they both entered the camper but once inside bob pulled a gun on her and pulled her by the hair, which ripped off. She was wearing a wig, and it ripped off her wig. He got angry at that, and he demanded that she undress, threatening to shoot her. After she took off all of her clothes, he tied her up with snare wire. Ouch. Yeah, that sounds like it would hurt. you struggle. Now, Christy wasn't going to go down without a fight. She was pretty brawly. She started screaming, which royally pissed Bob off. He likes his women compliant, Okay. <laughs> especially if he's paying them. Yeah. That's a big thing with him. So he hopped out of the camper and into his car and sped off, of course, taking Christy in the camper with him. So Christy's in the camper. He's driving the car. Mm-hmm. The whole time he was driving, poor Christy was hysterically pounding on the windows, trying to get the attention of other motorists. As we know, this doesn't set well with Bob. He hates it when women aren't docile and compliant. So he slammed on the brakes jolting Christy forward and splitting her head open. So she hit something in the camper and her head split open. She was fully aware of what was coming next. So she hurried and locked the camper door to buy some time, knowing that she couldn't fight him off. He was bigger and stronger than her. 
So after a while of him beating on the camper door, she unlocked it real quick and she bolted right past him. He chased her for several blocks before he just gave up. So she was able to get away. As you can imagine, a pattern with his victims who are sex workers, Christy didn't feel comfortable going to the police. She knew they wouldn't believe her due to her profession. So she took matters into her own hands by completely changing her look. She went by a different name and she got a job at another topless bar, the Alaskan Bush Company. (laughs) That's what it was called. That is a fantastic name for a strip club. (laughs) Yeah. And it's one of his favorites as well. (laughs) I mean, not for that, but just give him him credit for the creativity of a strip club calling it the Alaskan Bush Club. Unfortunately, Oh, I feel so bad for her. Later that same year, as Christy was dancing on the stage, she looked out into the crowd and she saw Bob. He didn't spot her. She looked completely different. But uh, she knew that that was the same face that had been haunting her for months. And poor Christy jumped off the stage and she started viciously attacking him. She had such bad PTSD from this, I'm sure. So she was terrified. She was clawing out his face. She was screaming. Police were called out. But of course, Hansen turned on his charm. He claimed that the hysterical woman must just be pissed because he refused to pay her new prices after she raised them. So the cops, of course, believed him. Oh, yeah. Stripper attacks dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. No provocation that anyone sees. And he's an upstanding dude. And he's like, no, she's mad because I don't want to pay her. Just ridiculous. (sighs) So now the killings are going to begin. Well, I think he's already killed, but... The confirmed killings. The official confirmed killings, but we know he's guilty of one already, at least. So in the time between his first encounter with Christy and when she attacked him in the club, about a year, spam, Bob solicited sex from another sex worker who remains to this day, unfortunately, unnamed. This is such a sad case. She's unidentified. Unidentified. Yeah. We do know that she willingly got into Bob's creepy gold camper after she and Bob had agreed on services and prices before they drove off. Apparently headed to Bob's home. They were supposed to be going to his home. Yeah, well, I mean, he did get smart. He stopped trying to pull a gun on random people. In a parking lot, yeah. Then he tried to pull a gun on a hooker and put it in the car. Then he was just like, dude, don't get in my car. No, the first girl was the hooker. She was a dancer. Oh, she was a dancer? Yeah. But even then, like, he's like, oh. Now I just got to find a hooker, and I'm like, hey, do what you do. Here's the prices. Let's get in the car. Yeah. Doesn't even have to do anything. They just get in willingly. Yeah. So they were supposed to be headed to Bob's home. She was going to make really good, quick money. Uh, After driving for a while, the woman surmised that there was no way they were headed to his house. They had been driving forever into the middle of nowhere. So she finally was like, let me out. Let me out. She was screaming in the camper. In response, he said nothing. He pulled out a gun. They drove as far as Ekletna Road near Ekletna Lake, um, where there's nothing but wilderness. There, Hansen's vehicle got stuck in the mud, and he made this woman get out and grab a metal cable from the trunk and attach it to the winch and pull as he steered until the car was free. So with this, she saw an opportunity to run for her life. But Hansen cut up, caught up to her, grabbing her by the hair, before stabbing her to death with her own buck knife that she had in her purse. So she would be Hansen's first confirmed kill. He then buried her in a shallow grave off of a Kletna Road. She was soon found after by electrical workers, but still remains unidentified to this day. 
she's only known as Ekletna Annie. So somewhere out there, there's a family not knowing what happened to their daughter or their sister after all these years. Still, right now to this day. And that's just heartbreaking. I mean, again, there's no, there's no DNA testing. There's no DNA testing, no and, forensics. But she was found. Her body was found. Yeah, but it was found. But you know, part of the reason they probably haven't identified her to this day is they probably disposed of her remains. They yeah. probably cremated her because it was cheapest, right? To yeah. bury her and stuff like that. There's unidentified John Jane Doe. Let's just cremate her. Now you can no longer test her ashes 40 years later. Exactly. So there's no way to identify who this could have been. So Hansen would later go on to clarify after his capture that he never looked down on strippers or dancers. No, he respected the girl's grind, in fact. It was the girls who had sex for money that he found indecent. And then they were expendable, therefore. Makes so much sense. You have morals, Bobbert. So killing them was a service to society, I well, guess. Well, what he's doing, he's, he's when he's explaining this later, you can see it. He's explaining his mentality. Like, it wasn't just women or all these. He's explaining it was just hookers. And he's yeah. clarifying the dancers because he would go to those places and not kill all the other girls. He, Only the girls that agreed to have sex with him for money. I'll tell you how gross he was. He even, like when he sought out girls, those weren't the girls he would necessarily kill. He liked it when they came to him. He liked that, and that's what he found indecent. Like, wow, you're soliciting me, almost. Yeah. It's just sick. Like, the ultimate misogynist, I would say. Pretty much. (laughs) He said, this is a quote, I guess prostitutes are women I'm putting down as lower than myself. (laughs) Wow. I mean, he's pretty low, so. Here's a prime example of that mentality that he has. In 1980, at Seaward Dock, Hansen noticed a gorgeous, tall woman named Joanne Messina hanging out near the water with her beloved dog, and he worked up the nerve to speak to her. Surprisingly, she was receptive. He asked her to dinner, and the pair and her dog went to dinner together, and then they were walking along the beach, or not the beach, but along the water, and they were talking for hours so it was like a nice date he found her respectable he actually really liked her like he wanted to date her you know but then she divulged that she was a nursing student back home and she needed to make some extra money in order to make the trip back home to seattle and she asked hansen if he was interested in going back to his camper with her for some cash and this made her instantly less than in his eyes. And he was just filled with such disgust. Oh, yeah. Because she sought him out and solicited him, in other words. He, he thinks. He didn't show it, however. Um, he agreed. And they got in his car. And the pair and Joanne's dog drove to Snow River. This is about the time that Joanne got a bad sinking feeling. I think his demeanor changed. You know, and once in the car, he stopped speaking to her. Well, yeah, she, he'd been so, yeah. like, bubbly and friendly all night on the date. And, and that's why she was, she was yeah. asking him this. And now all of a sudden, he's probably dead song because he's pissed. Yeah, absolutely. So, she was like, hey, Bob, can you just take me back to my campsite at Seaward? Like, I need to get back, you know? All he did, <laughs> he pulled over. He grabbed her by the throat took a $5 bill out, shoved it down her throat while yelling that this was all she was worth. The rage in this man is towards women is just like... Sex workers. Oh, my... Sex workers. Not even just women. It, 
it, but it really it's got to be all it's, women a, to some a, degree. There's but a degree towards women, but obviously he finds them respectable. And then on the other side of it, the rage. Well, remember like, his initial victims weren't sex workers. He just knows he can get away with sex workers. That's what I mean. Yeah, but he also hates them. He hates them. He hates women. She fought him off and ran out of the car, but Hanson caught up to her, bashing her head in with a gun. Then he shot her point blank. Joanna would be his second confirmed kill. Now, what was Hanson supposed to do with her dog? Like, crap, I have a dog now. So as you can imagine, it didn't bother him one bit to just shoot the animal and leave him along with Joanne deep in the woods where he would dump many more victims. Hmm. I hate to say it, but at least they were buried together. You know, yeah. if they had, oh, I know that's sick to think, but. At least he didn't like keep the dog and raise it as its own. That oh my off. God. That would have been awful. That pissed me the fuck off. This dude kills, he's killing people and like taking their fucking little dog and he's Jesus. like petting the dog, watching TV Give the kids, home. give the kids, his yeah. kids, yeah. the yeah. dog. So I'm saying, oh like, my he's God. watching TV with the kids and the dog is on the couch. Like, fuck that. Oh my God. That would have been Thank sick. Thank you for shooting the dog. I wouldn't have been surprised though. <laughs> so later that year, state troopers got a call from, uh, human remains being found in a remote spot near Kenai Peninsula where he killed the mountain goat. I wonder if that's why he brought her there. That's where I killed my mountain goat. Well, he's, been hi- he's been hanging out out there hunting. He knows mm-hmm. the area. It makes more sense than somewhere random. This is so bad. When troopers arrived, they witnessed a black bear eating what little was left of a body that would later be identified as Joanne Messina. Let's say later that year, you don't know if it's summertime. If it's summertime, you got wolves, mm-hmm. bears, coyotes, all that shit out there. So awful. I don't know how she wasn't, you know, gone sooner, or completely like dispersed sooner. Hansen has a steady rhythm now. I think he has a steady rhythm going, and he's no long he's no longer letting girls talk him out of leaving anymore. Like he's killing them. He's well, he straight that. up killing he them. He did that one time, and he almost went to jail for it. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to believe, but he hasn't even escalated to his full extent yet. But trust me, this guy's about to get much worse, and the story's going to get much more juicy. But I'm going to wait, make you wait until episode two to see what happens. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> and you won't want to miss it, guys, because it's so good. This is one of those where part two is better than part one. So it's kind of like Ted. Yeah, it's kind of like Ted. So you make sure you come back here, guys. It's not going to yes. be long. <gasps> come back. Find out what happens to this evil Alaskan douchebag. Oh, my gosh. If you don't already know. And uh, it's worth it. Trust me. It's a... It's a crazy story. It's a crazy this. story. And I love how he gets caught. And I love just, I just. I Certain like, people in the story just stand out. And they're just amazing people. It's a good people. story. Really. The two characters that were played by Nicolas Cage and Vanessa Hudgens. Like those two characters. There's people. Those real life people are like. Real life people. Yeah. They're straight up heroes. Like we're going to, we're going to see some badass women and some badass, finally some badass detective work. And I'm not going to make you wait too long. We'll get them out both this week. Yep. So with that, we love y'all. We love y'all. Be good to each other. Thank you so much for joining us here on Evil Pudding, and we will see you soon. Bye.